After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! You know, Josh, I've been watching. I watched the day of and have been keeping an eye on stuff since. I have not seen a lucrative free agent offer for any of the officials. I haven't seen a sign and trade or a pending unrestricted free agent to get traded or asked to be traded. None of that has happened with the referees this offseason. No, it's been boring. No offer sheets for officials. Nothing no. like that. <laughs> I, I I find that kind of hard to believe. I, I mean, there's 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 clearly talent out there and I don't know why. I mean, are they are they colluding against the officials? <laughs> maybe maybe we need some teams. You know, maybe we need some management for officiating crews in in each division, and then they can battle for free agents, and they can draft guys coming in, and and we can have some some friendly competition going on that the uh, you know the Atlantic Division officials might try to uh, poach somebody from the Metro or something choose like that. Choose your ref. Yes. I mean, this was this was something that was sort of thrown around. Maybe choose the officials that you want to participate in your in your division, maybe eventually in your playoff series. Maybe this is something to look at. Oh, I just I just want to see all of the Metro division coaches and general managers huddled around a table deciding which official they want to pick. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't gathered already, this is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Make sure you're following Josh and me on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, some new rules, rewriting the rule book, college course correction, a small change coming to major penalties, and some other changes that we're kind of kicking around. Let's start with the international look at this. And you sent this note to me, and I was a little intrigued and now puzzled and... Now, curious about it, too, the IIHF is updating their rule book for the 22-23 season. That's not a lot of changes to the rules. However, the table of contents is going to undergo a significant change here. Yeah, this is an interesting one where the, the rules all remain the same, but the order has changed quite significantly. And, and that includes position in the book that includes the numbers that these IIHF officials have been used to when they're citing rules or penalties throw them up in the air throw them out the window <laughs> tear up the cue cards and uh, hopefully you guys have paid attention to the NHL rule book because that numbering structure appears to be what the IIHF has adopted for their updated version of the rule book so gone are things like rule 150 or rule 119 for boarding now that'll be rule 41, which it is in the NHL, uh, and that carries down to the AHL and ECHL as well. So interesting to see that they haven't necessarily changed the rules, but they've changed the numbering so it more conveniently aligns. Now, I, it's, it's an interesting move. I'm not saying the NHL's approach is right. I mean, there's definitely some groupings and bucketings that make sense from, mm -hmm. a, from an organizational standpoint. But the interesting thing to me, Todd, if, if I may opine on it, is sure. that... We don't have a ton of NHL and IIHF overlap. So I guess you, you look at the minor leagues that follow the NHL's model, and, and maybe it makes it easier for them. But internationally speaking, it's it's 
all different. So you've got all these international guys that are learning the new numbering system, and, and maybe it helps to transition them to North America. Maybe it makes it a little more familiar, but the learning curve might be steep. And that's not going to translate necessarily on the ice. The penalties are still the same, but you might have to pause and take an extra few seconds to think about what is the penalty exactly that I'm calling here, at least when it comes to the game sheets. Well, this is kind of where I'm wondering, is all this really necessary or is this kind of a summer make work project? Because as you say, <laughs> the penalties are the same. Tripping is tripping and hooking is hooking and fighting and fighting, although they're enforced somewhat differently internationally versus in the NHL. But when I hear an official make an announcement, I don't hear him cite the section of the rule book. He just announces that it's a tripping or a hooking penalty. Yeah, he's not going to be too worried about it on the ice as long as you know the difference. And there are plenty of differences between the North American standard. Let me rephrase that. The North American professional <laughs> standard, because holy cow, I don't want to introduce USA Hockey, Hockey Canada into this. But when when we look at what the standards are and they're more or less consistent at the ECHL, AHL, NHL levels, how the interpretations are may differ slightly, but the rules are pretty close. Not so in the IIHF. So it, it, I don't know if it makes it easier to differentiate or if it makes it harder because now you've, you've got the same number. You're kind of connecting it with where you're officiating North American, but you've got a totally different interpretation of the rule. It's, it's a challenge. I definitely don't envy those guys who are, are applying their trade across multiple leagues and internationally. Just, uh, just another thing that is changing for them. So hopefully they're doing some summer reading and, and studying and highlighting and circling so that, yeah, you know, the difference between say rule 69 and rule 150. Refs go to summer school. This is what's happening. It's happening everywhere, including the NCAA, which does have some rule changes this year. And their numbering system is, well, different than everybody else's, too. So we still can't get all. Can't we all just get no. along? I mean, what is this? No, there's no standard. There's no uh, there's no consistency. It's, it's actually strange because I've the, heard many coaches say there's no standard. <laughs> right. There's no consistency in officiating. No, it's the rule book. I swear it's it's, right. it's the rule book that's at fault here. The NCAAs is a little more confusing because it's close to the NHLs. It's just slightly off. You know, the the double IHF, you were in like rule one, 142 and 163. NCAA has it in the same range of numbers. They just happen to be different <laughs> rules. So, it, yeah, it, it gets messy there. But they actually have made a few minor changes. Any of them that jumped out at you, Todd, that you were particularly excited for this season? Curious is maybe the better description. If a hit to the head or hit from behind no longer requires a game misconduct or ejection. And I'm a little concerned about that. I think that we should be enforcing a stricter standard, not giving the option, if you will. Yeah, it's interesting to see that that backslide a little bit on dropping the severity of a potential hit to the head or a dangerous hit from behind. I'm interested to see, and I haven't yet, what the NCAA examples are going to look like. We were promised a video to illustrate the differences, so maybe that'll provide a little bit more clarity and a little more understanding on, on those types of circumstances that might not require it. But when it comes to player safety, and these are college athletes, you would think that that's paramount and that they wouldn't necessarily want to back off from that. I will give them that, you know, maybe not every situation necessitates it, and maybe there are some that are worse than others, but in some aspects, you have to appreciate that they've taken such a consistent stance on it. Like, hey, sorry, the rule's the rule. And there was a hit to the head and this is a dangerous play. And and yes, you're gone for the game. And 
I get that not all of them may be as severe, but I, I feel like it makes players feel like they're more responsible because they know how strong that penalty is. So I'm curious to see how this will affect the way some of the players actually play the game out there. I like the way the NCAA has approached it in terms of it, it's a safety aspect. Hits to the head, hits from behind, it's it's punished severely. I mean, j- even the equipment, they have to wear full cages in the NCAA. I like that. I, I, I know that that's going to cause discomfort from a lot of traditionalists who still don't like visors, but we're going that way, not backwards. Yeah, and that's what I think makes this uh, an, an interesting change in the rule to put less of a premium on player safety, or at least potentially put players at risk because you're opening the door to say, we we will allow certain hits to the head or we'll allow them to be uh, receiving of a, a major penalty, but not necessarily getting a guy tossed from the game. So right. yeah, a, a curious move, but perhaps as we learn more, it uh, it, it may make a bit more sense. I, I just don't want to see that this puts more players at risk. Absolutely. The other curious one is that the hand pass rule is different in college than it is in the NHL. Yeah. I, I, and, and that's one I don't know if a lot of folks are familiar with this, that you can obviously hand pass in the defensive zone in the NHL. You can't hand pass anywhere in college hockey. And actually, prior to this season, you if you were doing it in the defensive zone, you could not make a line change. So, you know, we've seen that with icings in the NHL. But in college hockey, that applied to a hand pass in the defensive zone now also applies to a puck played with a high stick in the defensive zone. So that idea of keeping those guys on the ice creeping into a few more situations in the NCAA. And I I know that's stuff that we've seen in the NHL to try to act as a deterrent to have guys not do things like like the icing. And as some folks have argued, just do that for the puck over glass as well. Yes, that's the questionable one. Everybody thinks, oh, it's so harsh to to have a penalty and, 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 and why do that? So let's think about a few different game situations and perhaps some other adjustments to rules. And one I was reading about, and this will relate to the NHL and any other level of hockey, is serving a full two-minute minor. The argument being made that If a major penalty is called, you serve the full five minutes no matter how many goals are scored. So why, if it's only a minor penalty, are you rewarded with early release if one goal has scored? That used to be the rule is that you served a full two-minute minor. Then the Montreal Canadiens were too good at the power play, so they changed (laughs) the rule. So if the the opponent scored, that you you were released. But I I like this in the sense that it, it also, A gives an opportunity to generate more offense and more scoring, which we're looking for in the game. And maybe it serves as a bigger deterrent to players. I, I think it would. And and logically, I, I follow you on that, that if you've if you've done the crime, you do the time and that time is two minutes. And we're holding you to that regardless of whether or not a goal is scored. And I actually had someone propose, uh, and this was a while back, that well, what if what if a goal is scored and that player has to stay in the box for their full two minutes, but at least there's no loss in manpower on the ice and someone else can skate, which I thought was an interesting take that kind of splits the difference if you have a, a guy who's yeah. in the box that you want to get back out. But I think the concern that I would have is that you're going to get a lot of pushback from coaches who are worried about the types of penalties that are being called or not called because it almost makes each penalty weigh a bit more because now you're not looking at potentially one goal, but multiple goals, especially for those teams that are good on the power play. 
if we can all call penalties consistently, then I think this is a great rule. I think if, <laughs> if people are going to argue that they feel that the game is not being called consistently, then I think this is more fuel to that fire of, well, now it it's inconsistent and each penalty hurts us even more because we're shorthanded for the full two minutes regardless of how many goals. But I think you're onto something. I think it does help. I think the, the motivation is there. Uh, maybe... What about for certain penalties? What about, you know, maybe there are some that uh, that deserve the full two and, and some that if a goal scored, it, it wipes it out. I don't know. There, there might be some opportunity there. It, it is an interesting discussion point. And unlike some other areas of hockey, we like discussing the rules and ideas and enforcement and how it all comes together. There, not, not everybody does, but the, the, I, 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 it just seems that you're rewarding someone who has run afoul of the rules by early release if a goal is scored. This is the punishment. As you stated, you should serve the time and it should be the full amount of time, whether it's a two minute minor for for hooking, for tripping, high sec, whatever. I, I think if a penalty is called, and I guess maybe this goes back to the point of you've got to call them all consistently in every game. And that's the challenge sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think that's where you, you find people would take offense to it because now instead of it being a one goal infraction you're looking at multiple goals but i think we see in other situations too especially at the nhl level where we've we've got those times where uh, another similar one uh, todd that we often have is the penalty shot and there are certain plays where you've got you've got a penalty shot you got a guy pulled down who had a breakaway mm -hmm. and they get the, the the second attempt there now the interesting part to me is the penalty shot is restoring two things it's it's the infraction itself which could be a, typically a hook or a trip. And then you have the loss of the scoring chance. So the idea is that the penalty shot restores the scoring chance. But statistically speaking, not a huge difference between a penalty shot and a power play. And sometimes you wonder if teams would prefer one over the other, you know, to give them the, the chance. I was going to say, do you give teams the <laughs> option? I, I know it's it's an interesting one because they don't in in most cases. And, and perhaps there's an argument to be made that, maybe a team would prefer one over the other. And, you know, it's if it's additive like it is, you know, that hook happened either way, that hook deserves a penalty, maybe we'll we'll decline the shot and we'll just take the power play, which would certainly put an interesting wrinkle on things. Now, the penalty shot is awarded if it's a breakaway and the infraction is is committed, whether it be a hook or or whatever. And it's specific in terms of it has to be a clear breakaway and there is no opportunity. What if you made that an option for every minor penalty? Oh, interesting. So, yeah that that could be that could be an interesting deterrent. We've seen that in the All Star games where where they've done right. you know an infraction is called, the whistle blows, the guys move to the side of the ice, penalty shots taken, and we just keep right on going. So, if you want to speed things up, that that might be a way to do it. I mean, it's it's an immediate opportunity to either score on the play or not. I feel like in, in some situations, you're going to see that there are certain teams that would benefit more from that, especially if they get to choose who's taking the penalty shot. And uh, there, there are some teams who would wish that they had that two minutes back. There, that leads right nicely into the, the the tweet that you sent me the link to with something that Chicago is doing at their prospect camp, which is live penalty shots. Now, that sounds a little curious when you say it, because aren't all 
penalty shots live? Yes, but this this doesn't mean that the player taking the shot goes in alone. He's in. He's being pursued by everybody else on the ice. I loved this, and and thanks to Mario <laughs> Tirabasi for sharing a quick video of it. It's it's a phenomenal take. And, you know, maybe it's fun to do at Prospect Camp over the summer. They're probably not ready for primetime yet. But holy cow, just think, you've got a penalty shot starting. As soon as the player touches the puck, we know in hockey, that's when the goaltender can leave the crease. Well, that's also when all the remaining players of both teams who are lined up at the blue line behind center ice, they are all free to join the play as well. So as this guy's skating in, you've got everyone else hustling up the ice to either try to catch him or to be an option on the wing for him. And interestingly enough, the the penalty shot, (laughs) the live one that happened at camp a penalty was drawn on the resulting <laughs> shots. And if they had the option to do a penalty shot or take the penalty, you could do it exactly. all over again. Exactly. You could have a whole afternoon of just penalties. <laughs> I, 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 there's something here with this. It's, it's interesting now because, of course, you'd also have to have rules about how to conduct the live penalty shot. Everyone lines up on the, the defensive blue line. Can they be moving before the player touches the puck? He's allowed to build up speed. The, the person taking the shot, are you allowed to build up speed? And as long as you don't cross the plane of the blue line before the player picks up the puck, everything's okay and you've already got some speed. I mean, you, you've really got to spell out the do's and don'ts here. You've, you've really got an NFL-style offensive game going right here. You've got the, uh, the effectively the snap yeah. and you're trying to time it with the receiver. Uh, I'm game especially in the summer in a prospect camp uh, yet everybody in the backfield can be moving. Let, let, <laughs> let the defense right. go, let the offense, everybody wants to try to time it. And if you, if you jump, maybe you retake the shot, but instead of center ice, you let the guy start at the offensive blue line and you just there move you him closer and closer. I, I think, I think this could be a, a creative, fun experience that would be fun Maybe not quite ready for National Hockey League type action, but certainly in these types of showcases, these types of events, anything to make it more exciting and to get these guys engaged, I'm, I'm all for it, especially in July and August. And it's a good time to experiment with with rules that you're thinking of. So yes, go ahead, go crazy. There is one there is one discussion that is apparently taking place kind of quietly. I just heard one report about it from Elliot Friedman, who mentioned it just kind of at the Stanley Cup final or just after, mentioned that there was apparently some discussion about a change being looked at regarding major penalties and the review process. Currently, if a major is called for high sticking, boarding, whatever, the referees can review the call. During that review, they can verify whether it remains a five-minute major or they can drop it down to a minor penalty, but currently cannot rescind that penalty. You and I have talked about this before, and I question why that wasn't the case. The discussion apparently is going to decide whether or not referees will be able to rescind a penalty if it's shown that it was a, a self-inflicted high stick or or something of that nature. I think it's good. I think we want the right call, and this will give the officials the tools to do just that. I mean, it happens so rarely. Why not let them make the penalty go away if, if it shouldn't be there? I, I think you're right. I think there's a good case to be made, and I'll, I'll just preempt any conversation by saying the NHL wants their officials to rule in real time, not make rules and decisions via replay. So you're you're calling what you see. You're getting the call right on the ice. At least that's the intention. And then we use replay and review to check afterwards. So I think limiting it to those majors and match penalties was the right way to go. Those are serious plays that we're looking at a guy potentially being tossed from the game. 
but we've seen a few and there haven't been many. So I'm going to say the impact isn't great, but you're still getting the call wrong when you've got a major penalty for high sticking and it turns out it's a teammate or it's self-inflicted. The, yes. ir the irony being if it's a double minor, <laughs> you can wipe it out completely because it's friendly fire. But if it's called as a major, you can't. And sometimes those situations aren't that different when you're watching it. I mean, certainly it's, it's a, a different call and there's different things happening, different circumstances. But to have the ability to wipe out a double minor and not do the same thing for a major, that does seem a bit incongruous there. So you, you look at those situations and maybe you have a boarding or a cross-checking. We've seen some calls where you have a major penalty and it's a dangerous play and you look at it a second time and the guy may have lost an edge, may have tripped over his own skates, may have hit a rut in the ice, any of a number of factors that made the hit outcome devastating but made the actual contact minimal or potentially non-existent so i don't think there are a ton of these situations i think there are few enough that putting it out there as an option is is the right thing to do if you want to make the right call you know it's it's nothing like having to go to court to convict a guy and you say well we know you didn't do it but the best we can do is slap you with <laughs> slap you with like 90 days in jail we didn't we know you didn't do it but we we our rule book says we can't go any less than this. So sorry. Good luck in there, buddy. And yeah. The, the video surveillance at. at the store. We know you didn't rob. Was hey, I, I saw my cousin Vinny. You. I saw my cousin Vinny and I know those two youths were innocent and they were exonerated. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert there. But under the NHL's rules, even with all of that, they might have had to serve time. So, yeah, that's that's what we got to avoid. Todd. Uh -oh. What was that word? To what did you say? Utes? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? Oh, Excuse me, Your Honor. To youths. Thanks for listening to the Scouting the Refs podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram and follow Todd at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep it clean. Watch the elbows. We'll see you back out there on the ice. <laughs>